Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music. It is the first full week of uh, the brand new year. We're here Rhino. Howdy howdy. Well uh, it was a decent weekend. Weather was rainy on Saturday. It was delightful yesterday, I thought. But yeah, for chilly. the most part, yeah. But um, we got some bad weather moving in later today, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I believe Winnie the Pooh would call it a blustery day. Blustery. We got winds across the Magnolia State reaching 20 miles per hour sustained. Wow. And gusts up to and around 50 to 60 miles per hour. A little later tonight. That's pretty bizarre. Which does lend itself to uh, a need to be aware, especially in southern Mississippi tonight, because yeah. you're going to have a risk of severe weather up to and including tornadic activity. Uh, and those are never fun, but they're doubly no fun when it's nighttime. Yeah, and that's ex- exactly when we're supposed to experience that, right? Oh, yeah, all of this that. is supposed to get... At its worst, it's anywhere from 6 to 9 o'clock tonight, and then continue on into the night. Jeez. And then tomorrow, it is uh, Inauguration Day for Governor Tate Reeves. And that's a a full day of activities, including some out of doors. And it's going to be just about as windy. Not quite as windy with the gust top speed, but it's... It's going to be another blustery day tomorrow. Yeah, I saw that as well. So, you know, it's just the timing of the whole deal. Uh, I had to step aside on Friday. I know that Thursday, you could probably tell, feeling a bit under the weather. And when I left here at the end of the show, you know how that fever starts to set in? Gosh, walking outside, and it was, it was chilly. In the parking lot, I was shaking. Got the old chills, got in the car, cranked up the heater, went home, took the temperature, just a shade under 101. 
So I put on the sweatpants and the <laughs> the uh, sweatshirt, the hoodie, crawled into the bed, took some meds, and then that fever broke Friday morning in the 2.33 a.m. time frame. And I sweated rather profusely there. And I had to get up and take a shower. I mean, I'd sweat so much. And and that was it. It was weird. So it was about, I guess, a 12-hour ordeal of just really high fever that finally broke. And then the next day, honestly, I, I felt fine, but I felt it best to probably had bacteria still uh, inside to stay away. And I I texted our content director about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I knew I was going downhill and said, we better go ahead and plan on this right now. But it's going around, isn't it? Aren't you hearing lots of uh, folks? Oh, yeah. Whether it be an upper respiratory or the 24-hour cold or flu, whatever it is that's going around, there's there's a bug that's making the rounds. No doubt. But um, Saturday, Sunday, 100%. I mean, I felt perfectly fine. But that 12-hour period was brutal. And uh, it talked to some other folks that also had the experience. I also talked to a number of people, I don't know if it's related, that traveled to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl, now being referred to as the Flu Bowl, by the way, because of so many people who have reported getting ill after the game um, sometime during the week. But good to go now. Back uh, in the chair, feeling great, and looking forward to a great uh, week of shows. We've got a whole bunch to talk about. Senator Josh Harkins, he represents Rankin County, has served as the chairperson of the Senate Finance Committee. We don't know his fate at this point in terms of his committee assignments. That hadn't been done. we got a brand-new term. Well, they did have a little bit of a delay for a couple of days at the start. Oh, yeah. Uh, please remind the folks about that. We had back-to-back days of bomb threats. Not only here with respect to our capital and capital complex, but numerous other states as well, right? I think all said and told, it was eight or nine different states over the course of 48 hours. Oh, geez. Had bomb threats sent in to either their courthouse or their capital or both. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, uh, you know, you idiots, of course, that do that sort of stuff, just disrupting. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I caught an interesting story about states that lost and gained population in 2023. A bit shocked at the state that tops the list as the most sought after. In the year 2023, Vermont, Vermont, unbelievable. This is, of course, according to the United Van Lines annual national movers study. It tracks migration patterns across the country. The state which lost the most population, New Jersey, (laughs) Also, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Alabama are states which are increasing in popularity. How about that? So folks are looking for, of course, less expensive metro areas. 
They're and these areas typically are those that don't have as intense a competitive housing environment. That figures in a lot to it, uh, a lot into it. You've mentioned that uh, rents in the central Mississippi area, right? Is that true? Or that's across state? the whole across Magnolia state? state. Yeah, according to Rent.com, Mississippi saw the largest increase in rent across the whole country. Wow. And that it showed that on average the rent in Mississippi was up fourteen percent over this time last year. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, not good for those who are looking for a place to hang out from a rental perspective, which is a whole lot of people. You uh, perhaps heard the lieutenant governor on the program with Mr. Gallo this morning. And he continues to espouse his priorities, which which uh, center around education. Free community college is something that he has indicated is important to him and something he's going to advocate for. And uh, also year-round school. This is something that he talked about quite a bit in the prior campaign when he was elected for lieutenant governor in 2019, and continued to discuss it even um, after he was elected. Of course, he was pushing for it and had some ideas around that from a funding perspective even. Um, But those appear to be his top priorities. Now, we had a rather robust discussion here around the Super Talk Brain Trust about the pros and cons of that. Wanting, uh, wondering how folks feel about that. You know, and what I guess we were discussing was how there are a lot of routes to free community college now, right? Based oh, on, yeah. I mean, it's, it's and so we're sort of scratching our head as to exactly who this would impact, perhaps. And then I the mean, the community is, colleges in the Magnolia State have done a pretty good job of, if you're college-bound, if you have the, the want and the desire to further your education, but for whatever reason you can't get into or can't afford a f- entry into a four-year university, the community colleges have done a bang-up job of being a, a safety net to catch you and go, hey, Maybe you should check us out. How about you come here for little to no cost? Get two years out of the way, get your prereqs out of the way, and then you have a leg up going into your four-year university education. And they've been doing that for decades now. Well, that's what I thought. And, of course, I think it's important that if we're going to allow that, and I haven't studied this, so I don't know, that the the, the curricula taught in the community college very closely aligns with the job needs in the market that employers are saying these are the skills we need for the jobs necessary to to staff our organization i i um i think we have a good community college system i think it's excellent maybe the best in the in the country and i know we have great leaders of those community colleges it's just a thought coming right back with more in the element well studio Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well studio. We are grateful for your support. Sorry we had to put a best of up for you on Friday. I apologize for that. Pretty fortunate. Uh, rarely do I get ill, and boy, that just took me down. It's just one of them things. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where when folks find out, and then, you, then they start sharing either their experience or experience within their circles, and then you realize it's a pretty widespread deal. And it's happening across the country. And uh, even here in the state of Mississippi, right, reports from our Department of Health are that there are lots of flu spreading around. And I don't know what this was. All I know is 12 hours later it was gone. So I didn't worry too much about it for that period because I did uh, have a bit of the congestion. Not, Not the lower congestion, but the head congestion, you know. Uh, no taste or smell for that period, but that's usually associated with that problem when your nose is fighting. And then it came back. You know what my litmus test is for the taste and smell? I have an old bottle of Dr. Tishner's. I stick that up to the nose. <laughs> if you can't smell that, boy, you can't. And when I had COVID back in 20, I think, that was the only symptom I had. Nothing else but the loss of taste and smell for about a month. And that was every day I'd sniff that Dr. Tishner's. And finally, when I smelled it, okay, it's back. <laughs> That's, I don't know. It, that always seemed to work pretty good. It's so strong. Just pull the cap off, you know, and you can immediately smell it. Well, it's because it's concentrated. You're supposed to dilute that stuff. Ah, uh, that is true. Well, that in the old days, that was like a mouthwash. That was, a you know, before we had... Yeah, but the, you were still supposed to dilute I it. know, and, I, and now that you've said that, I do remember that. That's why it comes cup. in the little bottle. Well, that's right. I, I know. <laughs> and hadn't that been used uh, in, in lieu of alcohol, because there is a fair oh, amount yeah. of alcohol in it. I, I think I remember seeing some reports on people who got, became drunks drinking Dr. Tishner's, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Thomas and Greenwood says alcohol is used to drink it. He also says, is it conservative to advocate for free community college when it's not free? It's paid for with taxes imposed on you and me. Let's think about that even further, Thomas. Is free public school conservative in your view? I, it's a rhetorical question. I'm quite sure your answer should be that the government should exit school education. No public schools whatsoever. Just done. If uh, you want to go to school, you have to pay for it or somebody else has to pay for it on your behalf, which essentially is what happens when folks pay their taxes, and those taxes are used to to build and operate public schools. Yeah, he says no. So there, there you go. So Thomas makes it clear he do, is not in favor of the government at any level. I'm going to go ahead, ahead and suggest, I'm going to add that caveat, from being involved in education. No public schools. Well, that would save the state from a tax perspective about $3 billion a year. It's 52 53%. So, um, to, to Thomas, 
I think in your perfect budget, <laughs> your perfect structure of government, think about it, Rhino, here. No public school. That's 53%. Roughly 20% is Medicaid. The state's portion of Medicaid in the general fund budget. So we're at 73%, roughly. We got uh, remaining 27%. You look at what about ten, uh, about a third of that is? Corrections. So that's another question, Thomas. Should the, the government be in the corrections business? Then you got law enforcement. I guess where I'm going with this, get your take on it, Rhino, that and I'm not trying to be critical or condemn Thomas here. I'm just saying that there there are uh, people in the country that would hold themselves up typically as highly conservative, and and their definition of that is there shouldn't be any government, essentially. That government shouldn't be involved in education, in health care, corrections. So what should they be involved in? I, it is a serious question. What would a federal or a state organizational structure, scope of services, what would it look like? I've asked that question of people who kind of hold themselves up in that light, and I've never really gotten a, a concrete, okay, here's what my budget would look like. Never gotten that. But it, it's a it's a, it's a serious question. Why not advocate for private market solutions for everything besides the founder's true intent of limited government? How do you know what that was, uh, Thomas? Because you can, I've read that, you've read that. I think you have to consider the era. Um, the fact that so much of what has been created by man since then wasn't envisioned then? Yeah, if you weren't at least somewhat self-sufficient in the late 1700s, you weren't going to make it to 18 years old. Yeah. So is that a better quality of life? I mean, it's it's serious. So did the, did the for example, did the founders think the government should be, let's, let's talk about this, in the airport business? Right? Do they do they think about that? I don't think so. Well, do they think about interstate highways? Think about the money we spend on transportation infrastructure. How about water, electricity in some cases, utilities, energy, dependent on your community. It's it's um it's a complex question. It's well, a, it's a core problem with the electability of libertarian ideal, ideologists. They tend to have a pipe dream ideal government that is from somewhere in 1787 up to about 1811. They they have a window of, of history where they believe the government was perfect in its, fir, in its form at that point, and any changes made after that are they need to be walked back and the problem is you have half the country thinks the government's going to do everything for them so you're looking at trying to convince the other half that that's electable and you don't have enough historical literacy enough logic and enough common sense to actually sell those ideals so you wind up in this unelectable pipe dream utopia of, well, if we could just go back to 200 years ago, it would all be great for me. 
I don't really care about you. And it, that's what comes back to the unelectability. It, it's never, there's never a thought put towards the game theory of I have to convince someone else of this. It's just I've convinced myself, and that's all I need to do. Well, that is an interesting analysis that uh, I think is uh, largely accurate of, of where we are and how we got here. So, I mean, it's a great concept to have universal personal responsibility where it is up to you to feed, clothe, secure, to, to basically take care of yourself. The problem is you're never going to convince half the population to do that when for generations now the government has helped them up, helped them out, and been a safety net. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, the game theory part of it is when you suggest that seriously without the consideration of the other side, you are torpedoing your own debate because – you, you haven't applied even a modicum of game theory. You haven't looked at what the other side is going to say about you need to take care of yourself. Because the other side's going to say they're heartless. And so, you can't win an election when half the country thinks you're heartless. Well, let's take it a step further than that. Uh, those who believe, let's say, as Thomas does, why don't they mount a lawsuit and sue the government? You shouldn't be in the education business. Or that, do they fear that the courts would uh, not be fair? Because if it, it is true that it's unconstitutional, for example, I mean, you could find a number of things the government does that you could say that's not what the founders intended, but a lot of these things weren't invented then, so nobody really knows. I still maintain that's – and your point about, hey, it was – you were on your own back then. I mean, that, that was the, the idea. They were, they were more worried about – about getting out of the tyranny of the king. I mean, case in point about game theory, else. look at Social Security. If a Republican, whether or not Thomas or anybody else believes they're conservative, if a Republican brings up the fact that Social Security needs reform to survive, the left and the Democrats, representing half the country, are going to scream bloody murder that you're trying to take away retirement, and their voters eat it up. No doubt. And it's a very effective political strategy and talking point, by the way. Well, we're taking a break right here. We're in the Element Well studio. Is it the king's birthday? It is. Okay. Appreciate that. You're right on the money on that one. We're coming right back. We got Senator Josh Harkins at 11.05. Tim and McGee says, glad you're back, my friend. After COVID in 2020, I still have no smell. Dang, Tim. Coming right back. I'm all shook up. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. One through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there and they began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard the knocked out jailbird sing that Back everyone. 1935 on this day, that's when the King Elvis Aaron Presley was born, and then he died August 16th, 
1977. That's I think that's another one of those deals where, of course, born in Tupelo, um, you don't forget where you were. Those of us who were around, I was. And I was up at school at Ole Miss in the hall of the fraternity house when somebody stuck their head out of one of the rooms and informed us. Really something. Really something. 1977. Louie from the 662, that's the C Spire text line he texted in on, 601-879-4395. Join the conversation. One issue that is rarely addressed concerning the cost of college is the elective courses. Why are they mandatory if you were only required to take courses that directly relate to your major you could get your degree in about two years, thus saving two years of tuition cost. We actually have talked about that, uh, Lou. You, you, you uh, perhaps weren't tuned in. That's fine when we have. But um, I, I have maintained for some time that I believe that the traditional linear degree will ultimately go away. And... Colleges and universities, higher ed, they're, they're aware of this. And, and I've stated that employers these days are looking more for specific skills. And in particular, depending on the, the job responsibilities, the role, and the industry, they're looking for certifications. You think about the, all the various occupations across a, a, uh, a range of industries – there are lots of very targeted, tailored training after which, when you complete, you end up with some sort of certification. That's a lot more valuable in a lot of jobs than just a degree. If you, for example, could pass the bar, pass the CPA exam without having gone to, respectively, law school, or majored in accounting. That's not a requirement. That would be equally weighted. It's just an example. But I but I agree. And the world is so specialized. And this really... Well, that's what I was going to say, is you, you have the concept of the well-rounded student. Yeah. Which is a classical concept in, as far as classically liberal education, where you want someone to graduate with an undergraduate degree, as a well-rounded individual so that they don't necessarily have to pursue what they have studied. But that also is a mindset that comes from a time where your undergraduate degrees were much less specialized. That's right. So it's it's a double-edged sword. Higher education has become more specialized in studies. So it, it feels like it is... A little bit of a holdover that universities and colleges are going to have to reckon with if they want to stay relevant to a generation or two now that want the benefits of higher education without wasting too much time and going into too much debt. And you've seen a number of reports about employers now really just dismissing the requirement to have a degree, even for jobs that you say you don't have to have a degree for that. I mean, really, pr- traditionally high-level uh, type executive jobs where they're saying no degree necessary, but we are looking for these skills 
And if you've got certifications to prove that you're proficient with those skills, hired. I, I watched this happen in my industry, you know, since the company was formed in the mid-'80s. Everything became about certifications, and the manufacturers of all that sophisticated technology would allow you to partner with them and represent their various wares if you had staff that achieved all those various certifications. That was the gate you had to go through. And there was no requirement that they have certain degrees. No, they didn't care about that in their CV. What they cared about is, hey, have you been certified on all this stuff? And there's a massive investment in that, in time and money. Uh, but, But those were the requirements, and that was... Essentially, their their comfort at that point that, okay, you're qualified to represent us in delivering these solutions to the market. Well, you've seen that happen in a number of other industries as well. I was talking to my son this morning. He's in the commercial insurance business. He's been doing that six months, and he's learning right now. He's going through the various certifications, and now the next big step for him is to go to what they call producer school. And he was telling me about it. It's like six different one-week courses. You know, and out of, out of each one of those, you got to pass some sort of test. And uh, so, and and to get acceptance and appointed by your company into that, it's not about your degree. It's about various other tests they actually administer to candidates to see if you make sense. And it's you know, it's it's technical proficiency and commercial insurance plus lots of other interpersonal skills and social skills and and uh, you know do you show that you've got the the capability of uh, just selling persuading developing relationships maintaining those relationships through serving your customers and all the things you got to do well that's the kind of stuff that you don't learn a lot in a textbook or in a classroom very rarely. Um, but, you know, it's, it fits some people's personalities, and some people don't. It's just, it's almost innate. It's it's a difficult thing to to just learn. You certainly, you're born with a certain amount of those skills. You can improve on those, of course. And I feel like that's a disservice that was done to the generations that went through college, starting in, say, the early to mid-'90s, all the way through to here very recently where it was just rubber stamp all right you graduated high school now you got to go to college or you're not going to get a good job yeah and there was no thought put into why are we sending the majority of our kids to four-year universities why are we saddling them with debt that they're going to take a majority of their adult life to pay off when is it really necessary for them to get that four-year degree to do something that they would feel rewarded in as a career yeah charles and mathiston uh he heard the discussion says what happened to dale carnegie zig ziglar tom hopkins etc as part of middle management training real usable people skills i think you'd be surprised charles to find out that a lot of companies do still rely on those uh, methodologies Uh, i i personally went through the dale carnegie management course it's excellent. I mean, there's no doubt. And you're in the, the room for however many weeks it was, I think one night a week, with uh, management peers, if you will, other people 
They could be independent business owners or entrepreneurs. They could be in management in a large company. I remember we had two or three folks from AT&T um, that were, uh, actually, I think it was Bell South back then, that were in my class. But it was excellent. I, I agree with Charles. Those those concepts, Carnegie's concepts of of uh, how to interact with people, the the um, the value. What's the of, rule of thumb? Say their name three times. Yeah, exactly. And I remember like role playing that, you know, as part of the course. Um, my father, with his fifth grade education, he knew that. He always taught me to put your name tag on your right. Because that's the hand you're going to shake with, so people could see it. And he, he, his, his deal was, his approach was: I shake your hand, I introduce myself, I say your name, I say it again, and then right before we pull away, I say it again, like Rhino, right? You know, to get it three times. And Carnegie teaches you to try to try to come up with some word that rhymes with the person's name to kind of help you remember it, like a memory tool, if you will. So, yeah, all those concepts still apply today. That that hasn't changed. That's just human nature. That hasn't changed, no doubt. And I agree. We need more of that. Whether or not that's being taught in colleges, I don't know. I don't remember being exposed to that a whole lot. If it is, it's in a specialized business ethics course or interpersonal communication skills course or something yeah. like that. You'd have to go find it, essentially. Yeah. But but I hear, um, I certainly understand the uh, the idea uh, that Louie put forward that yeah we ought to focus more on on uh, training folks for those specific skills and that's what our workforce development programs that's what they're designed to do. On the ceasefire text line, Chris and Sony, come on guys, every student needs to sit a semester in Western Civ and British Lit. Oh, <laughs> uh, I will say I took business ethics when I was toying around with uh, staying in school for a graduate degree. That was one of the courses uh, that I took, business ethics. And it was taught by a philosophy professor that kind of had that philosophy uh, sort of uh, style, I guess, as part of it. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Senator Josh Harkins at 1105. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, baby, I ain't asking what you do. No, 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 baby, I ain't asking what you do. Just a bigger, bigger, bigger hunger. We're back in the oh, Element Well studio. Don't be a stingy little mama. It is a Monday. That's first Monday. We've been live in a couple because of Christmas Day and New Year's Day falling on a Monday. And it's uh, a two-hour show, Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews. will air at 12.05. Chris in Summit says uh, he was talking about every student needs to sit a semester in Western Civ and British Lit. He said, that's from a retired educator of 33 years, been saying for years, worst thing we ever did to education was do away with the true VOTEC. Now, lo and behold, they're bringing it back. And that's kind of what the workforce development programs and the career technical education advisors, the CTEs, that's what that's supposed to be about, Chris. I say again, 
uh, that the community university um, up in Starkville, I think, is a great model. That and that's what I was talking about with the disservice to at least two, three generations of students. Is I was on the the tail end of it, but it still happened for about a decade, decade and a half, even after I graduated high school in two thousand four, where Votech was almost looked down upon. Yeah, by the educators and the the people that were pushing you to go to college because that's just the next step after high school. And Votech was was looked at as, well, if you're not even going to look at going to college, you might as well do some Votech. And that's not what it should be. Yeah. It should be a route to employment for those that don't need or want to continue their education at a higher level. Because not everybody needs an undergrad degree. Even less need a master's degree. And there's an infinitesimally small amount of people that need a Ph.D. Yeah, and like we said, we're seeing more employers as well that are dropping that requirement to have a degree. Walmart was was, uh, an early adopter of such a policy. I'm talking about for executive-level jobs. We're not not talking about uh, jobs that traditionally have not required a college degree we're talking about jobs you think oh yeah you got to have a degree for that so we'll see where that goes but i i think we're going to see in uh, a revolution in education that uh is more consistent with that environment and that that approach where we're more concerned about you having these specific skills tailored for the job then we are this just broad cross-section of coursework that you've completed. You, you see a lot of people say, I don't know why I took this algebra. I'll never use that again, right? I, that's probably the course you hear mainly from folks that don't really care for math. And it could be, you know, that you're able to work your way through life without ever relying on algebra. I, I can't personally imagine it because I, I guess I used it every day in my in my work. Um. You know, I always thought that... There's a difference in basic algebra and all the way up to, like, calculus. Agree. I have to know how to find the area under this curve. There are very few professions where that is a necessity. I agree. You're you're right. I mean, there there are different degrees and levels of that. Totally agree with that. But still, though, you you see jobs so specialized, and, and that's... That's not something that just happened overnight. We, we've been working in that direction oh, yeah. for a long time. And, in fact, there are futurists who say that 90-something percent of the children born today will occupy jobs that have yet to be invented. Think about that. And, and I've seen futurists say that the amount of human knowledge accumulated since the beginning of human existence will double, not the content, the volume, the new facts, new knowledge discovered, created in the next 20 years. Everything we've, we've figured out since we've been around is going to double. Now, how is that going to affect society, jobs, all the above? We're just getting started with this artificial intelligence stuff. It means the cutting-edge universities and colleges are going to make you not have to learn Beowulf and Old English anymore. Uh, If they want to survive, I totally agree. 
And it is crazy. Because unless you're going to further your education and become an educator in English, especially with a, a specification or a, a focus on old English, why do you need to know it well enough to read Beowulf in it? Yeah, totally agree. Charles, by the way, says, friend of mine went to diesel school right out of high school and retired extremely wealthy and always was in demand for his skill set. I'm quite sure. No doubt about it. And, and there are a number of occupations like that. They can't find enough. Uh, it's, you know, uh, we've had Representative Jill Ford on the program talking about uh, her sons that are very successful plumbers. I've used them in my house before. Ford Plumbing. And at first, she, she wasn't really sure when they told her, yeah, we think we're not going to go to school and go the college grad route, but rather pursue this vocation. And I think she'd tell you she's pleased as punch about it now. They're very successful. And by the way, being a plumber is pretty complicated these days. That's that's not something you do without serious skills. Coming right back with Senator Josh Harkins. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studio. We thank you so much for joining us. We welcome now to middays uh, Senator Josh Harkins. He represents District 20. That incorporates Rankin County. In the past, he's been the chairperson of the Senate Finance Committee. Good morning, Senator Harkins. Thanks so much for coming in, sir. Good morning, Gerard. How are you doing? Are you still just Rankin County? You're just Rankin County, yeah. Okay. I shrunk again um, in 2012. My yeah. district uh, contained part of Madison. Uh, I lost it in that redistricting. And then this one, uh, I lost a couple of precincts in uh, Rankin County. So I'm okay. getting smaller and smaller, which is a good thing. It's growth. Yeah. I mean, that's because you've got more population. Yep. So your district has concentrated a bit. So we're off to the races with no bomb threats today, huh? <laughs> Knock on wood. Good grief. Yeah. What a way to start the what deal. What a way to bring in the new year. <laughs> man, oh, man. So you guys are, you, you've met uh, a little bit uh, so far, and then you're scheduled to gavel in. You told me 4 o'clock, four o'clock today. today. Yeah. Yep. And looks like we're going to have a little bit of inclement weather, so hope everybody yeah. travels up here safely. Well, we just heard on the news that the uh, right, right now the schools in South Mississippi are closing early, I think, to... Uh, avoid and get the kids out of there before the bad weather moves through. It's expected to be a, a good bit more intense in that area of oh, the state. Yeah. So we, uh, we're we hopeful and prayerful that this thing gets in and out and doesn't do anything. We don't need to Mm-mm. start the year off with that. So uh, you got a, a few new members in the Senate, seven. Got seven new members in the Senate. And uh, I think when I came in, we had 15 or 16 new members. Wow. And, uh, each cycle, uh, there was about 12 to 15 new members uh, last two two other cycles. And so this one was actually kind of a smaller class. And you've got, uh, of course, 
no change at the lieutenant governor nope. level. So you, you you stay the same in that respect. What are you expecting with respect to committee assignments, committee chair? Uh, well, I, I was listening this morning. I heard him say that he's going to make those announcements this week. So uh, we met with, uh, met with him earlier uh, before the session started and kind of handed in our our list of uh, areas we're interested in, and and uh, I'll, you know, kind of echo the the first term of his uh, of his you know, lieutenant governor's um, when he made the appointments the first term. I, I think I got a lot of the committees that I'm really interested in. It's important in my area, uh, public health and uh, finance, and um, you know, a lot of these. And there are other committees that you don't serve on, but you still kind of pay attention and, and watch and. Whether it's universities and colleges, uh, highways, I mean, those things are important to, to all senators. And so um, I'll be interested to see where uh, where we all line up here by okay. the end of the week. So are you uh, are you willing to share with us what your priorities are? Or you're not your priorities. I mean, your preferences, I should say, for committee. Oh, you want to stay in finance? Yeah, same. Uh, I enjoyed finance. I, I learned uh, a lot of a lot about state government Um uh, Every year, you learn something yeah. about our government. You yeah. learn something about how the process works and what goes on. Um, I think that uh, you know I really sunk into a lot of issues. I mean, you know, first year was COVID, and I mean, it just kind of turned everything upside down, and it forced us to have to really change a lot of the things we were doing. So it it forced us to kind of learn some things and and try some new things out and. Uh, through the through the years, whether it's tax cuts, uh, you know, different facets of tax cuts, whether it was the, uh, you know, the income tax cut we passed, uh, learned a lot. I mean, yeah. we dug in on that. We had hearings over that summer. We really looked at a lot of different aspects of our tax policy in the state, and uh, it, it really uh, opened my eyes of, of you know all the moving parts behind the scenes, and you know, people just you know. If you're not in there looking around, uh, peeking under the tent, it's it's hard to really fathom all the things that are going on and, and the uh, kind of the moving parts that make up our tax policy. That's true. It's, and when, you, when you change one facet of it, it impacts so many other areas. And yeah. so I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we worked on uh, the software uh, tax, sales tax on software as a service. That was a big deal we worked on last year. So th- there's just a lot of moving parts that we've uh, – We've uh, looked at and tried to uh, streamline and make better uh, for our businesses in our state to, to grow and prosper, and, and individuals as well. Okay. So uh, let's actually talk about priorities and kind of what you're thinking about, what uh, what the agenda looks like there in the Senate or in the legislature in gen- general. Well, me personally, I you know, I represent an area, you know, ever since I got in elected, I remember receiving in December this first piece of mail, and it had the unemployment rate for the entire state. And I looked down and saw Rankin County was the lowest, hmm. had the lowest unemployment rate in the state. And every month I looked at that, it was the lowest unemployment rate all the way up until this past year. So for almost 12 years solid, Rankin County had the lowest unemployment rate in the state. And I, I kind of took that as, you know, what's important in my district are jobs or, or you know, uh, opportunities uh, for employment and, and development and growth. And it, it's an area that's grown. Obviously, that's why my district has shrunk the last two times. Uh, so I, I feel like that's an important part of what people in my district are, are looking for. And, okay. and under that umbrella, there's a lot of things that go into that. It's roads, it's infrastructure, it's um, education. It's it's a lot of things that, that are important, uh, health care that make up 
why the district is growing, why there's development, uh, there's good leadership at the local level, um, you know, the, the leadership through our local mayors and our uh, supervisors, a lot of communication. So, uh, you know, those are the things that I'm interested in. Those are the things I want to keep uh, working on. We we put a lot of work in infrastructure in, in Rankin County and, and elsewhere. So um, I think locally those are the things that are important to me. But on a statewide basis, I think, you know, our tax policy, we're always looking at improving. We're always looking at how we can do better. Uh, same with education um, and health care. So all those things are important, and there's there's a lot of room to to work on. Okay. Um, so let's get into some specifics, if we can, with, sure. respect, with respect to tax policy. You know, the, I think the governor's made it clear he still is prioritizing full elimination of the income tax. That, that uh, yeah. always comes up. It's it always comes up. And, and I'll remind um, your listeners, you and I talked about this uh, a while back. You yeah. know, our, our income tax makes up roughly about 32% of our revenue to the general fund. Yeah. Uh, and when you go and look at what would it take to eliminate two billion dollars of of revenue, because essentially that's what you're doing. You're you're saying, hey, we're going to forego uh, this money to to get back to the taxpayers, which is always a good thing. But doing it responsibly and how you do it matters. And so um, we looked at you know people say, well, cut some expenses. Well, what do you what would you have to cut in order to to make a two billion dollar transfer? Uh, you know, from the general fund to taxpayers, which, which is a third, which is a third of, of our spending, revenue. Yeah. yeah, I think our sales tax generates about thirty six percent of our revenue. Well, I'm saying, uh, Senator, from a cut perspective, we'd be yeah. cutting a third of government uh, spending. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, exactly. So, if you eliminated these agencies and their employees and, and the activities they perform. The Attorney General's Office, the Auditor's Office, the Secretary of State's Office, Wildlife, Game and Fish, Corrections, Mental Health, Department of Health, Department of Human Services, Child Protective Services, Department of Revenue, Department of Public Safety, Homestead Exemption, Military, and the Department of Rehab Services, that would only cut $1.4 billion. Okay. So need another six hundred. You need another six hundred million, and what's going to be left of, of government and the services that that citizens expect many of those agencies to provide? So growing out of this is how we're going to accomplish this, I think. And, and so we've taken a step where we are going to be at a 4% flat tax, and this year we've dropped it from 5% to 4.7. We eliminated the 4% bracket last year. This year will be 4 uh, – the, the tax rate will be 4.7. Yep. Next year will be 4.4. The following year, 4%. Yep. Um, taking incremental bites of the apple, if you will, I think is, is – the direction we're headed, it's, um, you know, we can certainly look at adding on to those. We can look at how we're going to uh, adjust those. But to, to for people to think that we're going to wholesale just eliminate our, our income tax, personal income tax, in one fell swoop is just not – it's not reality. It's not practical. Uh, it impacts the services that we're providing, and it also impacts – uh, you know, businesses. It, it, there's a lot of things that uh, go into how you structure an income tax cut. And I think if you look around the country, uh, we'll wind up being the fifth lowest uh, in the country. Now, other states are, are taking efforts at cutting uh, taxes. So I think, you know, we're always going to be competing with those. But I think, you know, you've heard so much talk about the, the workforce participation rate. I think one way to encourage workforce participation is to cut taxes and give people more of their money for them to have. This is one way to do it. It's going to be an incremental 
from my perspective, I think being responsible and incrementally cutting it and and not um, uh, overextending ourselves is is important because there's a lot of other factors, there's a lot of other issues that are going on besides income tax. There's you know there's health care, there's PERS. We talked about a lot of these things that are out there, and uh, we got a lot of problems to solve. And and unfortunately, it it takes uh, dollars and cents to. Uh, to accomplish that. Let's continue the discussion on the other side of the break. Senator Josh Harkins is our guest in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do So we got a full complement of the King's music. There you go. What's that? Bossa Nova. Yeah, that was one of the songs that was released after he passed. I believe that one came out in the early 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. I didn't know that. It was a song he had recorded in the studio, but had never been released. So they mixed it, mastered it, and released it. Cool. We're talking to Senator Josh Harkins. He represents uh, Rankin County and also served as the chair of the Senate Finance Committee. We expect him to be in that role again. So with respect, uh, just final kind of thoughts on, on tax reform. You know the, the governor is is really pushing to mm-hmm. for full elimination. And uh, l- lieutenant governor has been lukewarm at best, I would say, on it. I think uh, the speaker Jason White uh, he would he would put that at, at high on his list of priorities. Uh, being methodical, being yeah. responsible, being thoughtful. I agree with all those. Some sort of plan, Senator, that would phase out the income tax over a period of time, based on achievement of of certain targets. Be they, I don't really think it ought to be revenue targets. I think it ought to ought to be on um, just. Uh, surplus targets. If you know, if we are able to spend money to operate the state in a responsible way and produce sufficient income to cover that and have some left over, yeah. gives us a little breathing room maybe to start paring down on the income tax. Gerard, you, you are you're speaking um, in common sense uh, form. I, I think that, that okay. rational people can come to that conclusion. How you implement that, sure. I think that's where the the difference is, and you know, we took the approach like, all right, let's let's set a goal and let's let's implement a known point of a kind of a conclusion. Like we're gonna we're gonna cut taxes to four percent. Okay, we've done that. As we're going through this process, if our revenues are still increasing, if we if we're still looking like we're on a trajectory where we can fund government at a responsible rate, we're taking care of any of our liabilities. We're we paid off a ton of debt. We've we've done a lot of things that have been fiscally responsible. And I think it's showing in, in the situation we're in right now. But 
as we go through, we don't know what next year is going to hold. We don't know. I mean, uh, you and I have had plenty of conversations about inflation and about revenue and all these things. Um, I think it's it's hard to, you know, if you just say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna tr- make a trigger out there. I mean, if the first plan would have gone in, you you never know if you're gonna cut the income tax or right. you eliminate it. It's just it's you're a just goal. doing it to say you've done it, you've but done. you That's have right. not physically done it. You and I agree. What on we that. are doing is we are physically cutting the rate down to a certain point, and if we're taking incremental bites at the apple, uh, in four years we're gone from five to four. And who's to say what we can do over the next four years after that or in- incrementally uh, moving forward? But we also have things that have popped up on our radar that, that we weren't expecting two or three years ago. Oh, like PERS? Like PERS, yes, <laughs> uh, that you have talked about extensively and, and others have talked about. But that is, a, that is a problem. That's a liability. It shows up on, uh, you know, it is something we've got to take with us wherever we go. And and so how do you how do you fix that? How do you prepare to to, to – deal with that issue how do we deal with all the other issues that we have so um you know just going out there and saying hey let's let's do a trigger and every time we get to a certain point we're going to cut the rate i think you in order to be responsible you have to take a snapshot of what where we are uh whenever you do something like that and i think it provides stability because we know exactly where we're going we're taking cuts to a certain point uh to me that's that's the way i feel comfortable doing it um, it's decisive. It's you know, it's a known entity uh, where you're going to wind up, and um, you know, to me, that's that's what a lot of people that I talk with in, in the capital feel comfortable doing. Okay. And I think it's um, it's prudent. I mean, you know, the stories of Kansas. Obviously, it's a different scenario what they went through, but the fact still remains that they had to go back and raise taxes because they overextended themselves. They did. Um, I think that you know we're, what we're doing right now is 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 i think prudent we've uh we haven't borrowed any debt in the last three years we haven't issued any new authorization for debt in the last two three years we haven't um you know we've paid off 900 million dollars of debt uh we're we're doing things like you would do in your home uh and and so i think it's we're we're being prudent we're also giving a a tax cut and i want to continue to do tax cuts like i said we talked about the workforce participation rate i think a way to encourage that is to cut taxes and have people keep more of their own money. Yeah, and I want to do that as fast as humanly possible, but being responsible and and practical about it. Well, and and honestly, uh, Senator, based on the cuts we've already implemented, um, a lot of the folks that are on the sidelines and not working, if they went into the workforce, you kind of assume that they they'd probably be earning incomes that would uh, mostly be no longer yeah paying taxes. No no tax liability. But, you know. Part of that is is the is the the latter. We want to provide jobs sure. that provide for upward mobility, sure we do. and that's what I want to. I want everybody to be paying. T- I agree. You know, taxes because they're making more money. Well, I totally agree. Uh, I'm which would allow us to cut taxes uh, again because the more people, you know, bringing people into the state, bringing jobs into the state is is the lifeblood. I think of one of the things that's most important that we do up there is is creating an environment for businesses to to start. And to thrive, and the ones that are here to, to continue to thrive, totally agree. to prosper, and to provide jobs for our citizens, and to provide better and higher paying jobs, I'll, opportunity uh, for them. I, I'll just uh, I'll share kind of my my wish here is yeah. that the House, the Senate, the Governor can work on something that does at least create a path mm-hmm. to get that done. 
um, I'm talking about full elimination, uh, in a responsible, methodical way. Yeah. And I mean a path. I, I've, I'm not in the camp that says, oh, we could just cut this one-third of revenue next year. Yeah. And I don't think the governor believes that as well. As this high a priority as this is, is to him, I, yeah. I think he realizes that's not the case. And you and I have talked about this. And then, again, we got this, I called it in my article, the elephant in the room, PERS. And you're a business person. You work with business people. I was as well. You always got to address that top nagging issue before you can do anything. Anything. Yeah. You got to, because it ain't going away. And that is probably a good way to describe PERS. You know this. You and I have talked about it off and online. You know the PERS board knows that. The executive director, folks in the Capitol. You guys got to take it up. We we have. We, we, we've met with uh, – I met with Ray Higgins, the executive director, um, out of session this past year uh, in the fall before Christmas. I think they're coming uh, with some recommendations uh, that they've – they've uh, thought about and looked at and we'll have conversations i'm sure uh you know in the new session with him and with their board and and try to come up with some solutions but a lot of the solutions that we're looking at or that may be proposed are long-term solutions yeah they don't fix it today they don't fix the math problem we have today like the next 25 or 30 years math problem and you know there are employees that are three-year, four-year, five-year employees that need the system to be healthy in 25, 30 years when they retire for the next 35, 40 right. years of their life. That's right. And so it's important. It's an important issue. And um, I think I, I've heard Speaker White uh, reference it a couple times on on uh, different interviews he's been in that they're they're ready to, to look at it. And it's been it's been kicked down the road long enough. And he, he is. He's expressed that to me personally as well. He he um, he read the article and and called me to ask me a couple of questions and and I, I would like to point out for the benefit of the audience and I know you know this as well, but the purse folks have read it and nobody's come back and said, "Hey, you got this wrong." As far as the facts, I got it from them, I, yeah. and that was my goal was just to sort of inform yeah. and, and kind of lay out the the issue and the challenges. But that's got to be addressed uh, as well. And then we got this uh, this healthcare. Uh, industry problem in our state. We, I think we got a really good thing done, the governor's proposal to reform the Medicaid payment model, which is going to inject a fair amount of money into our hospitals um, in the existing Medicaid program. But we, we're not in the out of the woods Medicaid here. Medicaid program, yeah. yeah. And you know, a lot of this is, is, I mean, not a lot, but some of it is internal. Uh, the way that, that we're delivering health care may it has to evolve. Yeah. I think uh, obviously with population shifts and w- when you, your customer base is not there, it's you can't just continue in perpetuity yeah. without changing, without uh, morphing into something that's more sure. efficient for the the times that we're in. Um, but you know, we've taken steps. We've made investments in nursing schools and at, at several of the community colleges and in UMC uh, to provide more staff because uh, that was a, a really uh, touchy touchy part of our health care delivery system was that we just didn't have the the employees there yeah and so uh we're taking steps but it, it's an investment in that it's an investment in several other areas uh not just health care uh, infrastructure roads bridges that we're constantly uh putting money in uh, yeah to, to make a better mississippi but we're gonna we're gonna keep at it okay appreciate you coming in thank you for Always having me good to see you it's good to see you senator josh harkins has been our guest we're coming right back in the element well studio
on Super Talk Mississippi. Some of y'all never been down south too much. I'm going to tell you a little story so that you'll understand what I'm talking about. Down there we have a plant that grows out in the woods and the fields. And it looks something like a turnip green. And everybody calls it poke salad. Now that's poke salad. There we go, the king. It is his birthday. And apparently I was mistaken about Bossa Nova Baby. Okay. It was released. It wasn't released on a studio album. Okay. But it was released as a part of the soundtrack to the film Fun in Acapulco. And it was released as a single with the B-side Witchcraft. Oh, we darn. So I was mistaken. I thought it was in that little group of two or three Elvis songs. Yeah. Got released in the mid to late 2000s. And I know there was at least one, and that was a little less conversation that was unreleased. Yeah. That got remixed and mastered. But I thought there were a couple other ones, and I guess I was wrong about Bossa Nova Baby. Well, appreciate you clearing that up for us. Uh, when was he born? Well, what year was he born? The 30s, I think? Elvis, 35. 35. Okay. There you go. On this day. 1935, passed away August 16th, I believe, 1977. Remember a four-room shotgun house that you can still visit to this day. Still there. And what's really cool is uh, the hardware store right downtown, right? Where he got his first guitar. First guitar purchased there. Really cool. On the C Spire text line, uh, how did PERS get in the shape it's in? It's a very good question. It's... um, it, it takes a little while to explain it, but the, but the bottom line is if, if you um, if you change the benefit structure in a way that is not accommodated by the contribution framework, that's how, in general, you end up with a financial problem. And it doesn't happen immediately. It's a gradual sort of thing that takes over. But there were some decisions made back in the 90s that uh, have proven to be problematic from a benefits perspective. I actually discussed that in the article, by the way, folks, which you can find at supertalk.fm. If you just Googled Gibbard and Purrs or Purrs and Elephant, because the title of the, the that I used is Purrs is the Elephant in the Room. And that, that really, the title was... Something I thought of because until the last year, it didn't really get a lot of attention. And I I have said this on the program before. I I apologize for not paying more attention to a purse and its uh, financial challenges. I I should have been more into that uh, prior to the, the past year. And the reason that I got interested in the past year is because some of the traditional news agencies started writing articles, including here. And so I started digging into it. Now, I actually have some firsthand experience with public pension systems. It goes back to 1981 um, when I was um, just a, a youngster. And uh, the firm I worked for, Arthur Anderson, it's now known as Accenture, we had been awarded the contract to automate the public pension system in the state of Louisiana. 
and I was uh, one of the analysts and architects uh, of that system. Now, the technology available in those days is nothing compared to what it is today, as you can imagine. But it was largely a manual operation, except for the production of the benefit checks themselves. And that was farmed out to a local bank that had the sufficient computing power to just really really just sort and print checks. It didn't do all the complex calculations and all that stuff. It's just, here's a retiree, here's how much they're going to get, print a check and send it to them. That's pretty much what it did. Uh, paper checks back then, of course. I never forget, Rhino, they, they'd bring the bank statement with the canceled checks in a truck because it's 40000 a month or something like that, it seemed like. It was a bunch of checks. That's all I know. And they'd bring it in, in a truck, tray after tray after tray of the, you know, the canceled checks, and that was the bank statement <laughs> in those days. So I uh, had some exposure to the the inner workings and the details and nuances of public pension fund accounting systems. And uh, that that background does come in a little handy in analyzing uh, this this issue. Uh, but that's how we got there, essentially. State legislatures uh, need to give up their supplemental PERS benefits since they only work four months out of the year. Well, that would have zero effect. That is teeny tiny infinitesimal. Um, and they contribute to it. And their benefits are based on their contributions and their pay. So it all works out. It's not like they're getting anything special. Now, we could have a debate about whether or not legislators ought to have a supplemental program all day long. But as far as uh, correcting the financial problem in the main PERS program, if you, if you got rid of that today, that would have zero bearing ever on PERS. Let's be clear. It's nothing in the scheme of things. I, it's, I know that may make you feel good because those legislators aren't participating in a defined benefit program, but it, it's it's no financial impact, just to be clear. Uh, let's see. That's just a question. That gets kind of deep there, Rhino, about remote work. Uh, pharmacy? Yeah, according to this texture from the 901, the State Board of Pharmacy does not allow or recognize remote work for pharmacists. Okay. And the the texture says there are dozens of pharmacists in Memphis that would move back to Mississippi, which would include buying homes, cars, paying taxes, but they can't because of inaction by the State Board of Pharmacy. Well, I will say that uh, once the committees are formed... Uh, we'll we'll take that up. At least just pose it as a question, you know, and see what we hear. We've had Robert Dozier with the Pharmacy Association. He's been on the program many times, and we'll certainly uh, ask him about that as well. I, I, I'm likely to see him before we have him on the program again at at the Capitol, and, and I'll throw that at him, see what he says. Appreciate that. The example the texture gives is their employer is a mail-order pharmacy, so it's really only warehouse staff that are physically in the quote-unquote pharmacy. Yeah, got it. DJ in Summit says, Mr. G, you had mentioned one possibility of freezing the 13th check compounding factor, yet they still receive the check. How would that affect amount they receive? So essentially what you'd be doing there, DJ, is l- let's say that such a provision was adopted today. The 13th check, for those who receive it as a lump sum, 
because it's an option. You can receive it monthly or as a lump sum. It goes out in uh, December. So what it means is that for whatever period of time it would be frozen, that future 13th checks would be the same as they were in December, this past December, 2023, for however many years they're frozen. I mean, that, again, the thing about solving this problem with PERS, the financial problem, uh, folks, is there's not one single thing you can say, yeah, we just need to do that, and that'll fix it, unless you're prepared to write a check for, oh, I don't know, $10, $12 billion. Just keep in mind, our state general fund budget is just a tad over six. I mean, that's the, that's what we're talking about here, to to correct the problem that we're facing for the next 20 years or so in terms of uh, making sure we got sufficient funds to cover benefits. And I'm not trying to say that, hey, we're at risk. And I make this very clear in the article. This It's not an immediate doomsday scenario. That is not the case. Not whatsoever. Not even close. It's a long-term issue. And so I think what we're likely to see, which I point out in the article, is a number of different actions to come together to address the problem. And none of those include uh, cutting the service, the base benefit. That is is off uh, off the table, in my view. Um, and with respect to possible adjustment of the cost of living raise, the cost of living increase, which is what it's called, the 13th check in Mississippi, even PERS has, has said that, you know, maybe freezing it for some period of time makes sense. It doesn't mean don't pay it. It means pay it at the level of this today without continuing to compound it at 3%, as is presently the case for each year of retirement. So whatever your last one was, that would continue, or something in between. I mean, it's it's whatever they could work out that would make sense. Freezing the cost of living adjustment of current retirees is not honoring that promise, says Dave in Monticello. Well, so, Dave, I've done some research on that, and it, and it becomes a matter of uh, really what the attorney general would say on that, or if it's something that the retirees say is breaching their contract, they'd have to mount a lawsuit. I don't think it is in looking at it. I, I think that... Um, that provision is not necessarily a contractual one as far as the computation itself. So, uh, but yeah, complicated, no doubt. And I think we'll get into it uh, as the session unfolds here. As you heard the senator say, you've heard Speaker of the House White say, virtually everybody else that either Paul Gallo or I have spoken to from the legislature over the last couple of weeks. We are coming right back with a final segment on Midday Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews at 12.05. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lone Street, that heartbreak hotel. Lonely, baby. Well, I'm so 
it's always crowded You still can find some room For broken hearted lovers To cry there in the gloom Be so Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Middays. We are back on the ceasefire text line. My complaint is that they get 1.5 years of service for each year in office when they basically work only four months out of the year. Categorically false. Not true. Not how it works. So much misinformation. Is there not Rhino out there? And you you got to spend some time digging in and in, in reading uh, about these plans. And again, I, I, we're trying to solve a, a problem that is in the tens of billions. What we're talking about here is petty cash relative to that. Again, we could certainly debate whether or not you think members of the legislature and uh, state elected officials are entitled, especially the legislature, because it, it is true they they do not work year-round. We can certainly talk about that, whether or not they should have their own special program. But it ain't broke. PERS is broke. I say broke. It has an unfunded liability. I don't want to give people the impression it can't meet its obligations. That's not true. It can't. Between the money it makes from its investments, that portfolio is about $30 billion bucks, and the contributions coming in from members, it's able to make its payroll. In fact, it had a surplus last year, which was good. The prior year, we talked about the other day, like a $6 billion swing, and that's because the market performed so poorly in 22 versus uh, 23. So... Um, if uh, And the way that works for the slurp people, that would be the legislators, is if they're age 65 or older, they retire with 20 years of creditable service as a member of the legislature, which, by the way, that 20 years requires a lot, uh, 0.5 years of credit for four years is the way it works, of service, service credit. But nonetheless, that's, uh, it's fun, it's Dave, it's funded the same way. It's it's the same way um, in that there's contributions coming in, there's both from the employee and the employer, and there's money going out, but it, it doesn't have the same sort of dynamics with respect to people paying in and, and people taking out. And And that's what's, caused a bit of the uh, of the issue somebody said um uh, i don't know i can't remember petty cash adds up yeah it does like over 200 years we got to solve the problem guys <laughs> in a much shorter period of time than that that's the point i'm not saying petty cash doesn't add up i can tell you at the federal level i don't know if you guys have seen this and we're about out of time today we'll continue this discussion tomorrow but Looks like there's a bipartisan agreement on a spending plan. Guess what we got? The same damn thing we had before we got rid of Kevin McCarthy. Nothing's changed. I told you. You seen it, Rhino? One point six trillion. One point five nine is the is the number. Well, the omnibus bill that we all blew our stack over, including me, was one point seven trillion. By the way, was one point seven trillion last year. Woohoo! 
We're running a $2 trillion deficit, and we cut. That's if they can stick to it. Because you know what's going to happen. Before it's all over with, the Republicans will say, nope, we can't cut that defense over here. And the Democrats will say, nope, we can't cut that non-defense. And we're going to end up with the same dang thing. And so I don't think we'll end up with a government shutdown, although there are a number in the House that are calling for it. And they're all, by the way, they're all mad now. They're mad at Mike Johnson. Did I not call it? Did I tell you they'd be mad at Mike Johnson just like they were Kevin McCarthy in a short period of time? Didn't take long, did it? Less than six months. They're all, you've seen it. Reports all over the place. They're all bent out of shape because he couldn't get it done either. And until we realize we got one third of one uh, government, one half of one third of government, we don't have any power. And it, you know what? That that margin's shrinking by the day because people are retiring. And now we got what? A margin of three in the House to get anything done? So, and again, and they'll take victory laps. Hey, look, we cut $10 billion. I'm all for that from the IRS. That's one of the key features of the agreement. Although, the Senate Democrats are looking for something in return for cutting the $10 billion of IRS funding. By the way, it's $10 billion out of 80 So I welcome that, but there's a $2 trillion deficit. When are we going to start talking in terms of $2 trillion? And the same applies to PERS. When are we going to start talking in terms of billions, potentially tens of billions? That's what's needed. Otherwise, you're not serious. You're just trying to say, well, I took care of that. I did something. Look at me. No, you didn't. You didn't solve the problem. We are out of here today. Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors is next. Back with you tomorrow. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.